Censored? Are, are we still censored? Oh, crap. Yeah, we're still blocked on YouTube. Somehow, CJ is, I think, broadcasting this from, from his channel as a backup to youtube.com slash Adam Gokesh, where we are still banned. That's right, banned from posting or streaming content. And for those of you that didn't see it, this is on my Twitter feed. I, I know I'm, I got to get this, like, out, out of my system uh, because I, I – well, we have a censorship block today. Yes, we're going to get to it. But this from YouTube directly by email – YouTube doesn't allow content that explicitly disputes the efficacy of the World Health Organization. Now, that, that in and of itself would be bad enough, but it's or local health authorities' recommended guidance on social distancing and self-isolation that may lead people to act against the guidance. Well, here on Adam versus the man, the whole goddamn point is for you to act against the guidance. Now, not for its own sake. We don't rebel for rebellion's sake. That's not it. But to assert our humanity, to assert humanity of, of every other human being that is being denied right now by the man. We've got a big economics block today. We've got, oh, the title of today's show, Big Pile of News. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those Mondays. Sorry, Mercedes. Not, not gonna, well, we did. <laughs> I don't think you can cover the news without mental health stories anymore. I mean, uh, sorry, Mercedes. It's not really gonna be a mental health Monday so much as a catch the fuck up on everything crazy that's going on in the world Monday. There is so much news. I don't, I can't, I can't take it. I can't take it, but yeah, I, just just a little aside from me, just about on, on the mental health issue, um, because a lot of people and, and, and a lot of uh, a lot of pundits when they when they wade into mental health, why does my hat look great? I I wouldn't be wearing it, but I have bedhead, and uh, I showered last night because we were working on the Freedom Factory, and uh, don't worry, I'll finish the mental health part. But sidebar here on the Freedom Factory, it was delivered on Friday. Big good news, huge, great news for Adam versus the man is that we now have a dedicated studio slash office building with uh, storage in the attic and uh, and bunk space. This is really exciting, but we did it. Jim and I were working on it all weekend, except for the party, at housewarming party at the Aples on Saturday evening. Yeah, check it out. There's the picture. Thank you, CJ, for throwing that up. It's on all of our social media. Uh, just me in front of the building right after it got delivered with a big silly grin on my face. But we didn't quite finish it. So we're not, not quite ready to move in. Uh, one more weekend of work. Uh, if I get everything I can uh, by myself during the week, maybe I'll have some friends come over and, and help hang the drywall for the ceiling. You can't really put up in a 4 by 8 panel of drywall flat over your head by yourself. That's... Uh, I mean, maybe with some tricky machinery, of course, but that's uh, that's a little more than I'm up for. So, uh, first time hanging drywall, it's been a lot of fun. 
Anyway, so when when a lot of pundits, when, and what I've seen is that when uh, when pundits or, or other libertarians talk about mental health, there's there's this kind of hopeless decrying of the fact that look, everyone's crazy. Look, we got more crazy people than ever before. More people on medication. More ADD. More ADHD. More uh, more people on Ritalin and antidepressants and antipsychotics than ever before. And some people, looking at that uh, simplistically, just take that as, oh my gosh, society's getting crazier. And that's actually not the case. I mean, in some, in some ways, in some instances, in some places, in some dynamics, yes. And, and right now, right now, like, you can't cover the news without talking about mental health. We've got a couple of mental health stories somewhere in our giant pile of news here today. Huge. Huge pile. I should have said huge. Is it too late to change the title, CJ, from big pile of news to huge pile of news? Don't worry about it. Uh, but a, a lot of people look at those diagnoses and diagnoses and medical histories and, and, and the medication and go, oh, yeah, we're getting crazier. But the fact is that we are actually getting saner, smarter, and more self-aware over time. It's not that we're getting crazier. It's that before the modern era of people having excessive spare time as opposed to when we were all hunter-gatherers, we're able to pay attention to a lot more, diagnose a lot more, and we have kind of an unfortunate, I will say, mentality about (laughs) mental health where it's not just, hey, you've got a weakness, we can strengthen this, it's, hey, you've got a disorder. You've got a personality disorder. You've got a disease. You've got uh, a PTSD, some kind of stress disorder, some kind of anxiety disorder. And, and it creates a, you know, a, a deficiency of the functioning of the mind and, and a, a patient mentality. And one of the things that, that we like to do with Adam versus the man, you know, and I have, a, I have an undergraduate degree in, in psychology. I've done uh, veterans PTSD counseling. I've done uh, some... Uh, at-risk youth counseling, way back in college. She's almost in another life at this point, right? But I feel like I've got a, a pretty good background here. And, and just realizing this, you know, and, 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 and you, know, you combine these, just a couple of these ideas, and you go, oh, 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 it's okay, we're not getting crazier. We're getting better over time. We're doing something terribly wrong. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not endorsing the modern mental health industry, nor am I going the other way and becoming a Scientologist. But uh, it's a fun part of what we do on Adam versus the Man. So welcome to our Catch Up on the News slash Secretly Mental Health Monday. We've got Comet Jim Freedom joining us from Phoenix. Again, let's get Jim up on stage here. We're going to be going through a lot of news, a lot of comments. I want, I really want to hear everybody's take. But we got a really fun thing going last week on Friday, where the contest was, what did Adam miss or get wrong this week? And we didn't even really have a good answer to that. Like, the, the guy who won, Mike, uh, I hope he's, uh, Mike from Long Island, I hope he's with us in the Producers Club. Uh, but uh, I, f- I feel really good about the uh, journalistic accomplishments of where we are with the show right now, that we're really informing people. So, Jim, good morning. Welcome to the show. How you doing, brother? morning doing very good thank you how's it going 
Excellent. Tired this morning. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, a, a weekend of construction work. <laughs> There's the time lapse. I love it. Yeah, I um, like so I like you know, how, I, think, I like how slick he pulled this building off. Watch right here. It comes up. He just like backs the trailer. Whoop! It just rolls right off, and then he yeah. Goes, I mean, if yeah. you see it in slow motion, it was a lot cooler. That guy was good at what he does. Yeah, and actually, just so everybody knows, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like out anybody. I'm not going to say his name, but the driver at first thing when he pulled up, he or when, when he pulled up to where I was meeting him to guide him in, and he goes, "Hold on, aren't you that guy from YouTube?" And he pulls up his phone. He's got a picture of me, like on the corner, top left of his subs for YouTube. And I go, "Wow, that's, that's amazing!" And it, 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 it. We're going to talk about this a little bit with the censorship, but man, it drives me nuts to think, you know, when they, when they, that, that so many people in our audience still, and I, I have to, I have to train my audience. We, we have to condition people, right, to, to connect with us. More directly, don't wait for YouTube to tell you that we're live. You know, don't set an alarm. If you're watching this, if you're listening, I know a lot of people get this as the audio production, not live. And that's great, too. But especially for, for those who watch this by video clip or the full live show, you can't rely on YouTube. You know, I think most people, I think, in, in our like, we have this hardcore group in our audience, uh, the, the, the producers club, we have people who are really active and engaged, but still the majority of people who are subscribers are not. They're just, oh, like, yeah, yeah, when Adam puts out content, you know, I might check it out. And, you know, I got to think about it, like, that's how I am with most people I'm subscribed to, except for epic rap battles of history. I keep, like, refreshing their page going, when, when are they going to come out with a new ERB? But, uh, Jim, we had yeah, a different kind of, I'm, I'm like, I, I woke up tired from a weekend of construction work, and then and now I'm, like, delirious from trying to drink water from a fire hose of news. Okay. All right, so we were going to, I was thinking maybe we would do a little, uh, a little tour. Now, I got it off the screen. So this is now for patrons only. Patrons only. If you go. Jim, do you have that video, the little video that we did yesterday up for Patreon? Uh, yeah, it's on the behind the scenes, yeah. Yes, all right, so for Patreon, behind the scenes, if you join us, and this is for anybody, uh, you go to adamversustheman.com, check out our, our link to Patreon there. Uh, you can give us one, five, ten, fifty dollars $50 a month, whatever you like, and you get access to the behind the scenes stuff like that. $10 a month, though, that's where it's really at. That gets you in the producers club. And, man... I have, like, just, there's so many, it, it's getting, it, it's almost getting to the point where I can't add any news to the pile. Like, part of my process in prepping for the show is, I mean, the main thing is I get links from the Producers Club. The Producers Club is my editorial team. It's freaking amazing. I, I have, I feel like, like, some kind of Tom Sawyer genius, you know, where he tricks people into to whitewashing a fence for him. <laughs> You know, because it's a privilege to paint the fence. It's like I've got people paying us to volunteer as our editorial team. Right now. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. So ten dollars a month, you get in the producers club. So many links right now. And by the way, this is how um, I this is how I, I stay in touch with CJ and Jim during the shows. I'm watching 
the Producers Club on Telegram on my laptop, and anybody who's in the Producers Club can basically interrupt the show. But uh, also, by the way, if you go to AdamVersusTheMan.com, if, if you don't want to support us with a, a monthly contribution or if you want to get some merch to show your support, we have Garden of Freedom stuff. And and someone who we had we had some uh, some new visitors this weekend, and one of them said, you know, when she saw the uh, the geodesic ball in the driveway, the giant six foot thing lifted up that looks like some kind of weather satellite tower device, even though it's just an art installation. She's like, that's the motif of your property. I was like, yeah, look at this, and it's the, it's even in the logo. We've got it here now on a mug. Thanks to CJ, this is the sunflower geodesic sunrise for the garden of freedom i love seeing this on merch jim what else do we have for promotions this morning uh well i I don't know how many people missed it or caught it but we had a pretty good uh ama cigars and sunsets on friday oh yeah there with you at that was fun yeah by the way it was it was it was fun to do that just on twitter you know by periscope we didn't have very many live viewers this is you know Another another weird thing of shadow banning. Also, by the way, uh, if, if you go to uh, Twitter.com/slash Adam Kokesh, scroll back a bit, uh, you can see I shared a video uh, from Project Veritas. James O'Keefe. Uh, I think we have an invitation request out to him to get him on the show, uh, where he has a an undercover recorded conversation with a former Twitter engineer, and. Uh, you know, especially after the Hunter Biden story and the emails that the, the New York Post store, story being singled out by Twitter and Dorsey having to respond. We're going to get into that a little bit today. I've I've lost faith in Twitter. Uh, but, yeah, the video is talking about this, this engineer talking about shadow banning. Shadow banning is a thing on Twitter, too. One of the funny things about that, the reason you made me think about that, Jim, is because from our Cigars and Sunsets video Friday evening, we only had like 10 to 20 live viewers during the event, right? And that's, for 50-something thousand followers on Twitter, that's, that's kind of low. That's a, that's, a little, that's a little surprising, right? But uh, then we got over 1,000 views over the weekend. I looked at it this morning and was like, well, that's interesting, so people are like sharing it or seeking it out after the fact and and going to that content, but it I I I, I don't know. Again, I got I got to train the audience. Like, give me give me a little engagement. You know, watch us. You know, set up alerts at least for social media. I, I feel a little a little behind here getting an email list going or get, reviving our email list and getting it tailored for for our current production. But we'll we'll get to that once we get the studio up. Then we have all these all these fun build outs. Adam versus the man is still growing and developing every day. But yeah, Jim, we had a little confusion with uh, with me and Peter. It was really my fault about Friday. He was supposed to join us, or I, I thought he was, uh, but he will be joining us this Friday for cigars and sunset. So you have that to look forward to as well. And if people want to smoke with us, Jim, what's the best way for them to do that? That's what I was just going to ask. Where did you get that cigar that you we were smoking on that night? Cigarfederation.com. You go there and type in promo code ADAM10, all caps, ADAM10. You get 10% off, and uh, it helps Adam out with this production. That's what we were smoking uh, on Friday, JSK Nugs. They're CBD-infused cigars. They're pretty smooth, pretty good. 
And so last, one of the our, our last, last like a good half hour or something while we smoked it. Yeah, yeah. The, about a half hour uh, yeah. of the show was actual light lit cigars. Yeah, if if you're a regular cigar, I mean, sort of like I think we were kind of average pace. Yeah, it's about the the JSK nug is about a thirty minute smoke. Um, so our, our last promo before we jump into the news, and we we got to do this. We had a guest today as well. Um. But before we before we get into any of that, the um, make them debates or make them debate dot com uh, Mercedes. I'm I'm so honored. I'm so excited that we have a debate manager. Although we don't, we haven't had a second debate since the first one through uh, make them debate dot com. In fact, I haven't had a debate really at all since then. But uh, Nick Berryhill in our producers club shared a screenshot of a tweet from Austin Peterson. I've destroyed every one of my fellow libertarians in every debate I have ever been in. I have a perfect record. Zero losses. It's too easy. Embarrassing, actually. We need stronger arguments and stronger leaders. And the funny thing is, uh, Austin's, I mean, is he a libertarian Republican? Is that what he's calling himself now, a libertarian Republican? Since he went Republican Party after running for the Libertarian Party presidential nomination in 16. One of the responses here from from Alex Goldstein on Twitter in the screenshot is zero losses. Then why weren't you nominated as the LP candidate in 2016 after you debated Governor Gary Johnson and official McAfee? That's John McAfee who are uh, also running with him, uh, along with Daryl Perry and Dr. Mark Allen Feldman in 2016. And you know that's not an airtight argument. You know if you didn't, you could still you could win all the debates. I mean I won debates, like and and then did worse. People. Uh, you know, preferred the Joe Jorgensen strategy, which I'm, I, I can totally respect. You say Adam won that debate, but I'm still voting for Joe as the nominee. But I, I mean, I've debated Austin. So my response to this was, uh, except for that time, he didn't plan on debating, but lost to me in a banana anyway. Um, that was, uh, when I interviewed him for Adam versus the man back in 2014. Yeah, after I got out of jail and, and moved back to L.A. 2013. And back then, I, I was doing interviews where my guests would appear on the monitor in the studio. And by Skype, they couldn't see me. We were not broadcasting visual to them. They, if they wanted to watch, they would have to watch, like, on a separate monitor. And um, Austin wasn't watching. So, and I had a banana on my desk. So as I was asking him questions about, like, a libertarian republic um, being, a, being a, a bit of a contradiction uh, I, I just ate the banana really slowly, and everybody knew that as the uh, the banana debate that Austin Peterson lost. So that was, uh, I don't know, maybe the banana debates. Maybe we'll bring that back. But, yeah, jump in there. Check out MakeThemDebate.com. Email me, Adam, at the Freedom Line if you want, at TheFreedomLine.com, if you want to uh, help out. Or just, do we have an email for Mercedes? Does Mercedes have, do we have AdamVersusTheMan.com email up yet? I'm going to give you one more, one more project for CJ, right? Um, TheFreedomLine.com, there it is. You can get the book for free. That's really, I mean, we have the, 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 that's the hub website for all things freedom. Another side project, fun thing, I'm, I'm trying to find sponsorship for the Freedom Line specifically to turn it into a libertarian answer to the Drudge Report. I think, well, we've got this awesome editorial team, and we're putting together this pile of news five days a week. It wouldn't take a lot of money. I mean, you gotta you got to have the right website. 
maintenance, engineering, hosting, design, all that. And you've got to have a consistent editorial team uh, gathering headlines and, and, you know, summarizing them for, uh, for the news aggregator website. So if you want to get involved with that or anything we've got going on here in Gardenia or Big Igloo Geodesics, again, Adam at thefreedomline.com. Jim, any good comments so far? We're like 20 minutes in the show already. This is supposed to be a quick, warm opener, so we can get into some big pile of news today. Yeah, we haven't had too many. Uh, I know we got a lot of news, but I'll share one, the most recent, Unicorny, also known as Gus, I believe, on Facebook. There needs to be a Jim and Adam TikTok dance video. <sighs> uh, 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 thank you, Gus, but no. <laughs> um, thanks, but no thanks. I, yeah, I don't know. When when we So, you know, this was part of the debate that Jim and I had this weekend a little bit in, in – working on the studio office and planning things out. And we appreciate all your input and, you know, especially uh, the support of, oh, geez, I've got, ah, what the hell? I got, I got like skin knuckles and torn up shit on my hands from working this weekend. Anyway, if, um, sorry about that. The, the debate that Jim and I were having this weekend was like how much to invest in the facility in the studio. And there's all like, you know, we get giant monitors and, multiple cameras and all these crazy shots. It's like, or would we be better off as producers thinking let's invest that in development of content in the show and connecting with our audience. So it's a constant debate here uh, because we do have very limited resources, but if, if we got to the point where we had, you know, interns and production assistants and it's like, all right, someone wanted a dance video. All right, Adam dance. Like we're, we'll do it. Uh, wait, 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 you had another comment from it Gus? Uni- it was another unicorn, yeah. CJ shared it up. I'll put it back here. He says, you both can do it in costumes for Halloween. Jim can be Hendrix, and Adam can be a 70s muscle man. <laughs> All right. Thank you for your creative contribution to uh, future possibilities for the show, Gus. All right. That one would have to be funded to get me to be motivated. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, so let's uh, let's get into the news here today. Uh, unless CJ wants to jump up for uh, for producer notes, um, but yeah, we've got we got, we got a lot to cover. We got a lot to cover. All right, so CJ's CJ's not. All right, so our first story, as part of our economics block today, and it's not it's not a good one. Uh, this is not we're not we're not ringing bells here, like Wall Street style, going oh yeah here's here's the no no. Uh, the title from NPR.org is, I'm Still Unemployed, Millions in Dire Situation as Savings Start to Run Out. And, I, you know, we're, we're going to talk about evictions coming as well. But uh, I, I do want to, to let everybody know that I was, I was a little bit off in my prediction on the timing with some of the economic fallout from the forced unemployment crisis that started with Trump's national state of emergency. Uh, and, and it looks like the eviction crisis is being sort of managed and drawn out. And uh, same with the unemployment. And, and now the, I, I mean, I don't know, you want to call it the poverty crisis? There's a new overall poverty crisis in America. But, uh, you know, I think we're separating the, the actual phenomena and refer to them as the, the unemployment crisis and the uh, evictions crisis and the 
the retail crisis and the real estate crisis. And these are all four distinct crises happening right now. We're going to touch on all of them. So to this NPR story, when the coronavirus pandemic hit this spring, government relief payments provided a life raft to millions of people who had been thrown out of work. That life raft, however, is now losing air, threatening to leave the unemployed in a perilous situation just as Washington leaders struggle to clinch a new package of aid ahead of the November election. I think I'm going to use that voice every time I have to read something from a mainstream journalist that's just like this corny wordplay. New research from J.P. Morgan Chase Institute and the University of Chicago focused on 80,000 unemployed people shows savings built up when the government provided aid is now rapidly running out, leaving people like chemist Kate McAfee fretting about their futures. I'm still unemployed. She said uh, she was laid off from her job outside Cleveland back in April. Quote, I've now exhausted my 26 weeks of unemployment here in Ohio and have moved on to the additional 13 weeks of extended benefits from the federal government. Millions of Americans are in a similar situation as the pandemic downturn drags on. The downturn Denver, downtown Denver coffee shop where Tara Burton used to work, tried to reopen during summer, but with little foot traffic from vacant offices nearby, it temporarily closed its doors again. As she said, quote, I hang on to that word temporarily. To see so much slipping through our fingers in this community is hard. So this is now something that uh, reflects the status of millions of Americans. This is uh, the... The current, I think, the, the best measure of the suffering, I, I just a couple more quotes from the story, to j- jumping ahead to the end. Um, as McAfee said, quote, I hate it when people say the extra $600 was keeping us from working. It was never keeping me from working. I want to be back to work, and I would love to have a job again. Now, about that, you know, a lot of libertarians make the point, generally speaking, that when you have government welfare that's unaccountable, a system that people can just sign up for, take advantage of, or, or UBI, uh, you know, kind of universal basic income, that that disincentivizes work, and it does. But that's not why people aren't working right now. It's, uh, as, as it says, McAfee has been trying to earn some extra money sewing face masks, but it's no substitute for a regular paycheck. Quote, it's not a situation I would wish on anybody to be constantly stuck in this with no foreseeable end to it. I don't know when I'm going to get a job again. Hopefully it will be soon, but until then, it's just constant stress from everybody or for everybody. Now, skipping ahead one story to NBC News. Again, first looking at the bigger metric, if you wanted to call this the poverty crisis, here's the headline to sum it up from uh, NBC. Eight million Americans slipped into poverty amid coronavirus pandemic, news study says. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that they're covering this, but I, I got to wonder about this word, like, slipped into poverty, like a negligee or some, you know, warm slippers to pat around the house. You just slipped into poverty or, or like, uh, I, oh, geez, it's, it, it's, uh, it, it's a kind of, diminishing I, I can't tell you know I don't want I don't want to judge but this word I don't know why it's why it's hanging you know catching my mind or why this this really caught my eye uh, because you could go one way or another with it like it's it's someone trying to 
soothe someone as they're dying, like, no, it's okay, it's just a flesh wound, you're going to be fine. Uh, or, you know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a, a, an, an empathetic note to say, hey, you know, it's, it's not, you, you slipped in, you can slip out. But it, this should be a reminder to everybody, and again, I, I will say it, you know, every time it's relevant, that if you look at how much the net worth of billionaires, and they're, they're all, I mean, I, I don't think there are a lot of people on earth who, who are sitting on a billion dollars who are hiding it. You know, there may be, I don't know, a few dozen maybe in the super class who are able to own a billion in Bitcoin or gold or cash in other people's names in order to stay, you know, as a behind-the-scenes puppet master, string puller, whatever you want to call them. But it's pretty much out there. You can see where the money is, you know. Aside from that, which may be semi-hidden that way, it's not like there are a lot of secret billionaires out there. And you can look at the net worth of all the billionaires in the world and go, holy crap, for a lot of them, it's it's doubled or close to doubled. You know, uh, Jeff Bezos, Amazon.com, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook.com, uh, as, as, as the two, you know, high-profile examples. Even Elon Musk with Tesla. Uh, it's, but anybody who's hooked into the government money system. And this is this is really... An important point, I think, in the bigger picture, because we haven't yet hit a currency crisis. But for the first time, and I, 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 I don't know. Someone wants to go look at my archive. See if I've ever said this before. See if I'm bullshitting. I think this is the first time I've ever said this in, you know, 14 years of activism, and 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 you know, looked at this and gone, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think this is sustainable. I don't think they're going to be able to pull the dollar out of a tailspin if it gets triggered now, because who has money? Right now, like, who has money? Aside from people who already had money. Uh, you know, most Americans basically living hand-to-mouth, paycheck-to-paycheck. But right now, who has money? People who the government wants to have money. And that's obviously an oversimplification, but you do have a huge number of people out of work. You have a huge reduction in the productive output of goods and services by Americans right now, but really by, by humans all over the world. There is a huge reduction in productive output. And yet the governments of the world are pumping out money and in individual aid and corporate aid and unemployment benefits and so on. So you have, uh, and it, not just the $9 trillion of liquidity added to the market, and it's, it's something like $12 plus million altogether since the beginning of the uh, coronaphobia pandemic or coronavirus outbreak here in the United States. And you have more money than ever before chasing less goods and services. And we're already seeing some price inflation but at some point, if that's if that's the, and I think they're watching this very carefully. You know, there are a lot of people, and and, and I think again, you know, one of the things that, that I think gives us with Adam versus the man, my perspective, kind of an edge up on every other pundit, is taking into account 
that as privileged citizens of the empire here in the United States, this isn't just a, a controlled man, you know, economy uh, for exploitation. It's also very managed. And, and what I mean by that is they won't let things get that bad. Like it, the, the purpose of government being not to govern or to manipulate or fuck with your head. It's to exploit you, to, to keep the super rich getting richer and the rest of us getting relatively poorer. So, they won't let the, what I what I sometimes find myself saying in debates with other libertarians about this. See, a lot of people, a lot of other pundits, will will look at these trajectories and go, "Oh my God, this guy's about to fall. We're about to hit a dollar collapse. We're about to have a huge, you know, uh, eviction crisis, right?" And I think again, I might have I might have overblown that just a little bit myself. At least uh, misestimated the timing, overestimated how fast the eviction crisis would really hit. But it's not going to hit as bad as we might have said, as, as I would have said, maybe even just a couple months ago, looking at this coming when there were the moratoriums on evictions. But they won't let Americans starve. Like they're not when when food banks and we've we've seen a strain on the food bank system. We've seen long lines. We've seen challenges with the food supply chain, with uh, produce. Remember at the beginning of this, there were a lot of stories like suddenly thousands and thousands of tons of onions rotting on the side of the road because there wasn't the money to move it. There wasn't the economic activity to justify paying for processing a, a major chunk of the fresh produce that was being grown in the United States. Now that's kind of been adjusted now we don't have those same you know really disturbing headlines but we still see long lines at food banks right now when that get i i don't think they're going to let that get to the the point where anywhere in america you can't not starve like you, you you they will stop things from getting worse they they have they have all these levers and mechanisms and, and ways of manipulating things to make things bad. Well, they can also back off. And as, as much as they're grinding people down right now, there's still kind of a limit to how bad things will get. So, okay, back to the story here. The number of Americans living in poverty grew by 8 million since May, just May, according to a Columbia University study which found an increase in poverty rates after early coronavirus relief ended without more to follow. Although the Federal CARES Act, which gave Americans a one-time stimulus check of $1,200 and unemployed workers an extra $600 each week, was successful at offsetting growing poverty rates in the spring, the effects were short-lived, researchers found in the study published Thursday. After the aid diminished toward the end of summer, poverty rates, especially those among minorities and children, rebounded. As Zach Perlin a postdoctoral researcher at Columbia University and one of the study's authors said the CARES Act, despite its flaws, was broadly successful in preventing large increases in poverty. The federal stimulus saved about 18 million Americans from poverty in April, he said, but as of September, that number is down to 4 million. So here, here's the numbers, and this is uh, this is important, you know, because we say poverty, like what is that? Everybody's got a different 
constant. I mean, for a lot of people, you look at me and you go, oh, shit, Adam's living in poverty. You know, and, and on paper, certainly. But, you know, I own my land. I have an, an amazing wife. I have great relationships with my family. I, and, but even in, in, in other material things here, I have a great network. I have people I can work with and do business with off the record. You know, so I don't, I don't think of myself as living in poverty. In a way, it's a mentality. But you can still look at these broad social statistics and go, most people don't know how to live well with that little money in America. So a family of four earning $26,200 a year or less is considered living below the poverty line, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. The total number of people in the U.S. living in poverty is 55 million, including the 8 million who joined their ranks since May, according to the Columbia researchers. 55 million out of 330 million Americans. Uh, you know, something like uh, one in actually 55 out of 330 would be exactly one in six. Yeah. One in six Americans now living in poverty. But I don't think this, you know, really you know, really, uh, really sums it up uh, because it's not just, it's not just the numbers. I mean, there are people who, you know, by the economic contraction that they have personally experienced over the last few months are struggling, are experiencing desperation and angst and all the emotional consequences of of that and a lot of them are are kind of over leveraged there are a lot of people who are not below that poverty line but uh you know might have my you know and this is something we've we've covered before in uh regards to the eviction crisis that most americans spend more than financial advisors would recommend on rent uh, and, and, and are, of course, you know, it's, it's almost, it's almost a cliche to, to point out that, that Americans are borrowing money. They don't have to buy shit. They don't need to impress people they don't like, but there's a lot more to it than that, especially right now. And as Carolyn said, one of the authors in the study, again, quote, high levels of poverty, food insecurity, and hardship will likely intensify in the absence of further income support. Now, that's true if we don't see an easing of the unemployment crisis, and, and that is that, uh, you know, some, you know, and we are experiencing, at least right now, a, a gradual easing of uh, the kinds of restrictions and lockdowns that led to the sudden cliff of, of unemployment that was the, the origin of this unemployment crisis. But uh, still, the effects are are with us, and there are still a lot of things that are delayed in their effect to be rolling out. So one of the responses now, a uh, fun headline from LA Times, uh, Los Angeles Times via MSN.com, 800 Compton residents to get guaranteed income in two-year pilot programs. Jacqueline Andrade and her husband both lost their jobs in March at a point during the pandemic. I'm oh, sorry. This story starts with like the, uh, I, 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 again, I, I don't like how a lot of mainstream journalists do this, uh, you know, where they, they, it's kind of like cinematic journalism. Like let's zoom in and, and look at one, you know, emotionally evocative story before we tell you the big picture of what's really going on. Um, 
But uh, as it says here, it's people like Andrade, whom a new guaranteed income pilot program is trying to reach. Compton Mayor Aja Brown said, Aja Brown, uh, later this year, the mayor says the Compton Pledge will begin giving 800 Compton residents free cash for a two-year period. Brown said she thinks the program will have the greatest number of participants in a single U.S. city. Quote, I recognize that there's a need for additional income, especially with the pandemic resulting in record high numbers of unemployment throughout the entire country. This is a great opportunity to address inequalities for black and brown people and also additional opportunities for upward mobility. mobility. So how did this come from? Check this out. This is, this is the interesting part of the story. So far, private donors have contributed $2.5 million to the Fund for Guaranteed Income, a charity headed by Nika Soon-Chiong, daughter of LA Times owner Patrick Soon-Chiong. So it's you know nice that they've got that disclaimer in there. And, you know, I'm, you know, as a libertarian, you know, when I when I look at the the, the, the reasons, and, and Andrew Yang did a great job. I mean, I, I, I'm kind of jealous of his accomplishment as a presidential candidate in the Democratic primary in this cycle. He really did inject the idea of UBI, universal basic income, smack, smack into the Overton window. It is something that people are, 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 you know, are not just comfortable but used to talking about as a possibility. And, and for a lot of uh, progressives, it seems inevitable that that's where the welfare state is growing that into uh, a universal basic income program. And it's kind of, you know, nibbled around the edges of that with, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, you know, all, uh, Social Security, all these things sort of like, well, Social Security, you have, a, you have a UBI for people over 65, essentially, right? And I, I, I want people to be wealthy. I want you to have the universal basic income that results from, you know, dividends on investments or passive income from properties that you own. And that's where we should be as a species right now. And if we get UBI for a while as a transition, you know, I'm not going to cry over it. It, it. You know, it's sort of like Ron Paul saying, Let's end the wars and the police state before we dismantle the welfare system. Like as a, as a libertarian priority, the government steals money and then redistributes it to people. Is it, as bad as that is, doesn't, you know, anybody looking at this honestly has to say, doesn't represent the same reduction in quality of life as the government stealing from people and using it to murder people on the other side of the planet, right? That's, that's worse. So, the thing with the UBI here is what if they keep giving out this money, but they're not increasing the productive capacity. Now there's, there will always be, you know, cheap manufactured shit from China to buy, right? There, there will always be some way to spend this money on something because they, the productive capacity of humanity is, you know, exponential. But there's a huge reduction right now with the unemployment crisis, with the general economic contraction that the world is experiencing right now. They can only pump out so much money without increasing productive capacity before you end up with price inflation, which ends up with runaway, uh, you know, even if you... Even if you don't literally have inflation, you, you could 
You could not inflate the money supply anymore. And in this case, with this UBI and Compton, you've got rich people. And it's private. Like, how could I complain? It's a pilot program. Rich people are just giving away money to make a point. We're going to give, you know, 800 Compton residents an allowance for, for two years of, of UBI. Okay, that's great. And I don't want to say that rich people should just be sitting on these giant piles of money. But if every rich American right now decided, hey, I'm going to give away half my wealth and I'm going to give it away to the poorest of Americans in, in, a, in a way that has a UBI kind of function. I mean, the danger with this is that you get people on UBI and then you create an expectation. If a system fails and they get taken off it, if it's limited, if it doesn't work, then you're going to have real negative consequences. But if, if just people, if, if rich Americans, if the richest 1% just say, you know, we're giving away half our wealth, we're going to give it away as UBI right now, that would trigger a dollar collapse. That would trigger uh, price inflation and an eventual uh, complete devaluation of the dollar without them creating any more money. So there's, it's not just creating more money. It's not just the literal inflation of the monetary supply, but the increase in dollars in the market chasing the same or less value in goods and services to be consumed. So the last story in our economic block today comes from Politico.com. The next economic crisis, empty retail space. As tenants stop paying and shrink their offices, commercial real estate is cratering. Commercial real estate is in trouble, and turbulence in the $15 trillion market is threatening to bleed over into the broader financial system just as the U.S. struggles to emerge from a recession. The longer the pandemic paralyzes hotels, retailers, and office buildings, the more difficult it is for property owners to meet their mortgage payments. I'm not doing that voice. There's no, there's no silly language here. I'm just emphasizing, yeah, yeah, yeah. How many months can you go delinquent? How long were people saying, oh, this will be over soon. Don't worry about it. We'll, we'll kick the can down the road just a few months. Well, now it's a few months later. And the economy is still on the toilet. So raising the specter of widespread downgrades, defaults, and eventual foreclosures as companies like JCPenney, Neiman Marcus, and Pier 1 file for bankruptcy. Retail properties are losing major tenants with no clear plan to replace them while hotels are running below 50% occupancy. Now, just a, a little side sidebar economic insight here and i i got this idea from my wife believe it or not as a a, a self-confessed windows shopaholic that uh you know w w when all consumer activity of you know for retail moves online or when you have that option right as soon as we lived in a world where Basically, anything you could buy in person, you could get online, or to the extent that that was, that was true and, and is essentially now. I mean, there are very few things. I mean, I, I think you could even buy a car online, sight unseen. This building that we just got for the Freedom Factory, you know, I ordered that online. I bought a building on the Internet and had it delivered here, right? You can get, you can get cars the same way. And what – what you're losing is the in-person retail experience. Now, that may be a good thing for humanity, for efficiency long-term, and I believe overall it is. But there was a – you can identify when, when you see this contrast, whereas prior to this, having employees at a retail store 
was an essential mechanism of making a sale. When it is no longer true, when that statement is no longer true, you have to see that creating a brick-and-mortar store and staffing it must be creating some other value, some competing value with online or, or something that's not available on online services. You're creating the shopping experience. And for clothes, you know, there will, I think there will always be people want to try clothes on before they buy them. You know, that I think there's always going to be a demand for some things that we're, we're buying in person or art, you know. Um, but eventually, if, if all, you know, manufactured retail, I, I, I'm not, you know, a mom and pop shop that sells just manufactured stuff in a special, like, you know, art supplies. Do, do I really want that to continue to exist if there's a, if people can get everything online? Uh, the same, you know, maybe, and maybe art supplies is one of those things you want to, you want to touch and feel in person before you buy. Um, but like, I want to see mom and pop restaurants where there's, you know, there's real value created in that retail experience or, or clothing stores. I mean, I would, you know, I, I'm not big on fashion myself, but I could see myself enjoying that. And now even those stores are, are losing this. So w w the reason I point out that in creating a brick and mortar store, you're creating another service in the retail experience is that right now people are just choosing not to consume that in a sudden wave and in an increase in, in online shopping. Again, one of the reasons Jeff Bezos has seen his net worth go up so many tens of billions. Yeah. Uh, over the last six months. So $15 trillion market in commercial real estate, getting back to the story here and how this affects things, you know, so what if we come out of lockdowns if the jobs that we lost aren't coming back? And the commercial real estate crisis is, you know, one of these measures by which we see the uh, this this economic pain uh, staying with us. Uh, the longer the pandemic paralyzes hotels, retailers, and office buildings. Okay, sorry, I already read that cover so, or that that paragraph. So, um, well, no, so here it is. Uh, as companies like J.C. Penney and Mercy Career One file for bankruptcy, retail properties are losing major tenants with no clear plan to replace them, while hotels are running below 50% occupancy. And here's another like should be an alarm bell for everybody. You go and, and I've done this, you know, trying to trying to stay at hotels. The prices are the same. It's not like it's not like everything's cheap all of a sudden. So there is going to be, you know, we've and we, we've been covering this for months. There is going to be a huge contraction in the commercial real estate market, um, kind of on a different dynamic than the housing market, because there will there will always be, you know, a relatively constant demand for housing. Like it's not you know, unless a huge part of the population dies, right? Um, but commercial real estate, that's that's way more volatile. If all these businesses shut down, boom, and the commercial real estate market crashes or continues to crash as it is crashing now, you're going to see uh, continued fallout from the coronavirus shutdowns and lockdowns. All right, let's check in with the comments section, Jim, before we get to uh, – to our guests, okay, so Mercedes wanted to share in the in the uh, producer's chat how the Sturgis motorcycle rally may have spread coronavirus across the upper Midwest. Yeah, I've, yeah, more, more fear-mongering 
Uh, within weeks of the gathering that drew nearly half a million bikers, the Dakotas, along with Wyoming, Minnesota, and Montana, were leading the nation in new corona infections per capita. So, Jim, do we have any uh, any any important, insightful comments to throw up on screen before we get to our sort of headline political block of news we can knock out before we get our guests on? By the way, that is, since I, I forgot to mention it earlier, Toya Johnson running for Iowa Senate in District 16 as a libertarian. Um, any comments on the, uh, the that economic block? Uh, well, uh, however you pronounce this, Cocoa Steve, why? What is the government's plan here? Screw up <laughs> everything. Cacao. Yeah. Cacao. No, it's Cacao not screw up Steve. everything. It's it's again. It's. I mean, it's well. And, and, and there's a great video from uh, Corbett Report, James Corbett, uh, your guide to the Great Reset. Uh, that's available on YouTube still for some reason. But the uh, the World Economic Forum, uh, this last one, I think it was themed, the Great Reset. And uh, it's, it's pretty, it, it, that's, I think that's, I mean, that's what it is. It's an economic reorganization that they're, I mean, they're barely even referencing Corona now. It's just that Corona was the destabilizer that gave them the opportunity to consolidate wealth and power and serve their general purpose of the super rich getting richer while the rest of us get relatively poor, right? Anything else, Jim, before we get to our, uh, uh, our little Cody, Cody has the answer. Cody on Facebook has the answer. People just need to vote harder. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, so we do We do have some. Let's, all right, with that perfect setup, let's get to our – Political headlines. Politico has this story. In final sprint, Trump makes stops. His team never expected to need. The Republican president is spending considerable time campaigning in once impenetrable red states. Uh, from Mackin, Georgia, he pitched rural voters in Iowa on Wednesday, visited North Carolina and Florida on Thursday. States' his campaign once insisted were a lock and is spending Friday evening here in Georgia, which Democrats last carried in 1992. Yeah, the year Clinton was elected, by the way. In the final 18 days before voters decide whether to keep President Donald Trump in the White House, the incumbent Republican is spending precious time in states that were never supposed to be this close, but now threatened to upend his re-election campaign. And it's, it's no secret that, that Trump is behind. I mean, the polls that are obviously very manipulated that have Biden uh, so far ahead are uh, they're, they're not, they're not, they're, they're manipulated, but they're not like fabricated from, from whole cloth. They're not just pulled out of some pollsters, but like, what can we get the American people to believe? And there's a much bigger manipulation game going on here. And I would not be surprised if Trump is still able to pull out a victory here. Um, but the, battleground state idea that you're competing for 270 electoral college votes. I, I mean, I got a reference, uh, Thomas Sowell, who said, you know, it is, and I'm going to butcher his quote, but uh, it, it must be the worst social decision-making policy to trust important decisions to people who face no consequences for being wrong. And that's kind of politics in general. But then you go, well, how do we even select those people? Well, it's really people in a few states whose votes matter. Everybody else doesn't matter. And where is the national conference? Are we having, really, 
an inclusive national conversation about setting policy and deciding the course of this country? No. It's we have politicians pandering in battleground states. Now, good news here, skipping ahead one CJ, libertarian candidates dot news say exit polls indicate eight percent of voters in Virginia have cast their vote for Joe Jorgensen. So we're not going to have a come-from-behind victory. We're not going to have some sudden, crazy libertarian moment phenomena in 2020. I know, I know, we're not there. But we might have a major breakout. This, I mean, if they count the votes honestly. But here it is in the latest Roanoke University poll of likely voters. 8% of those who have already voted in Virginia have cast their vote for the libertarian. Joe Jorgensen. And, you know, this is simply because when you do the uh, exit polls, you actually get to ask people, who are you voting for? Whereas a lot of the phone polls that they use to say, oh, Biden is in the lead are, are you voting for Trump? Hello, are you voting for Trump and Trump or Biden? And a lot of people go, uh, or who do you prefer, Trump or Biden? And, and, and they don't even, you know, if you're sort of a, if, if you're not, super intense, active, mentally engaged libertarian all the time, you might not think to go, oh, yeah, uh, I'm voting for Joe Jorgensen. If they just say, you know, hey, who do you prefer? No, I prefer Trump. Uh, I prefer Biden. Uh, okay, and then click. Okay. Uh, and, and that's the poll, and so that's how they get the numbers. Now, remember, I've been telling you, there's probably more of this Kanye West story than meets the eye. And while liberal... Uh, or Biden supporters, rather, are trying to play him down because they don't, they understand. And, and again, even, even if you're, if you're paying attention, if you're listening to me right now, if you're in this conversation, you are paying way, way more attention than the average American to politics. You have to remember the average American is, is, is only dedicating a small amount of brain space and energy and attention to politics. It's very easy to manipulate them to change their vote at the last second. And if you can just convince a, a critical number of would-be Biden voters, that, hey, your vote in the state doesn't really matter, might as well, and Biden's a disgusting big government kid sniffer, hey, maybe vote for Kanye as a matter of protest, or for fun. And so I told you, there's going to be a pop. There's going to be, you know, an, an October surprise with with Kanye, and, you know, with Kanye, you never know what that October surprise is going to be, right? Is he going to light his hair on fire and run naked across a football field in a stadium full of fake fans <laughs> digitally set there. You know, uh, it could be something crazy like that, but it doesn't have to be. It might just be something very significant to get people's attention. And we have this headline from TMZ.com, Kanye West. I'm going on Joe Rogan's podcast and I can design the set. It's officially going down. Joe Rogan is hosting Kanye West on his uber-popular podcast. Yeah, number one in the world. And it sounds like Yee's been giving – that's Kanye. Yee has been giving license to get creative with the look. Kanye tweeted out the news Saturday, wishing his public request from last week into existence. He writes, Joe Rogan said it's cool for me to design the set of our podcast this Friday. KW also attached a couple screen grabs from FaceTime, uh, from the FaceTime convo they had. So this is – I mean, they announced it Saturday, two days ago. This is from the article from TMZ from the 17th, and it's going down this Friday. So yeah, this is uh, this could this could do it. Kanye could siphon enough votes from Biden in critical battleground states 
that those electoral votes will go to Trump. And Trump would win. Uh, despite, again, possibly losing the popular vote, certainly he would, in that situation, not have a majority of the popular vote, but possibly having less total votes than Biden. And you go, oh my gosh, how is he pulling this off? How screwed up is the system? I hope this is waking people up for a libertarian moment in 2024. That is, if Trump doesn't get his way, this last headline in our political block comes from Forbes.com. Trump says he will negotiate third term because he's entitled to it. Now, this helped me put my finger on this phenomena with Trump that a lot of people have come to accept because he be, people in his base don't have a problem with this, either because they're, they're such megatars that they're like, yeah, Trump for forever, until he dies, emperor for life, right. Um, or they, they just kind of accept that he's not really serious about these things and it's okay. So Trump is like that guy who hits on every chick at the bar with some really lewd sex joke. And most chicks go, <laughs> get away, creep. But there's always one drunk enough to go, oh, okay, and if you laugh, you're fucked, right? And enough Americans have fallen for this in the political context of a candidate who's like, oh, yeah, I could do a third term. Oh, yeah, I could do this. Oh, yeah, I could do that. Uh, yeah, we could, we, could, we could just lock her up and then never follow through. And there's this loose relationship with the truth now that, I don't know, maybe it's like uh, an inflationary spiral of bullshit in politics. Eventually, there has to be a point of collapse. There has to this, and I will say the one, you know, as a libertarian, uh, being optimistic about this, the worse the duopoly gets, the closer we get to a libertarian awakening or breakthrough moment in America. And they do seem to be spiraling down the toilet right now in a way that's accelerating with with Trump-Biden. Remember we, we said in 2016, Trump-Clinton, two worst candidates in duopoly history. Well, it got worse. It got worse. It's now four years older Trump with experience as president, and it's not pretty, versus Biden. So we've got Cheeto Jesus versus the kid sniffer. I remain optimistic for the long term. All right, our guest is ready. One of the people working to make this happen, vote by vote, is Toya Johnson, coming to us from Iowa, running as a libertarian to represent Iowa Senate District 16. Toya, are you with us? Hey, welcome to the show. How you doing? We having a connection issue? I, I don't have audio. Can you, can you hear me? There we go. No, I think I my mic was off. No worries. All right, can you hear me all right? Can you hear me? Yeah. Me now. Yes. Get a get. So, yeah. Can you just say something for a test here? Okay. I can hear so, you. All right. Now, okay. Let me try that out. So. Toya Johnson is running for Iowa Senate District. Hello? Yes. I'm sorry, CJ, did you just take our, we have some, we have a sound issue or some, some, uh, is it a delay issue maybe? Connection issue there. 
All right, I'm going to jump into the grab bag. I'll just be reading uh, stories from the back of the pile here um, while CJ works that out with our guests. Uh, we don't need to get any of these on screen, although there is a fun visual for this first one from Futurism.com. Band plays show with each audience member inside a plastic bubble. Uh, on Monday, iconic rock band The Flaming Lips held a concert in Oklahoma City where everyone, audience and performers included, was sealed in their own plastic bubble. It's definitely unusual and seems like the kind of thing that would give me even less of an idea of what to do with my arms during the show. <laughs> but as Enemy reports, the bubbles are a creative way to hold a concert during the COVID-19 pandemic without putting everyone there in serious danger. We're looking at you, chain smokers. I know they should be looking at Smash Mouth actually playing in defiance at Sturgis. I'll sing it again. Somebody once told me the virus was baloney. He ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. All right. There's there's the picture for those of you watching. Um, and I guess as much as people charge for concerts these days, you know, the extra money to have bubbles uh, wouldn't be too out there. But this, no. Um, and by the way, the bubbles... Uh, Coin, I guess from the uh, from the band, said gives gives them enough air for several hours. These things are actually sealed. I guess they are hermetically sealed bubbles. I mean, I, I guess since this story doesn't have anything like, and five audience members died from passing out. Like, there's got to be some other problems with this. Uh, but yeah, fun port of uh, Corona. All right, next story, going back, mynorthwest.com. All right, oh, so we got the guest ready. Let's try again. So let's get Toya Johnson up on stage, and uh, we'll introduce her again. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Toya Johnson joins us this morning from Iowa, running for Senate District 16 as a libertarian. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you? Excellent, excellent. Now, Can you hear Toya, me? yes, Lima Charlie, sounding good now. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Iowa Senate District 16, as a libertarian, um, I, I don't have to point out, uh, you know, a black woman, I suppose, for for our audio audience. There's some interesting identity politics wrapped into this, especially in 2020. I think, you know, well, don't worry, everybody, as a libertarian. I'm going to make this sufficiently awkward talking about identity politics. But first, Toya, tell us about uh, about this race and, and why you picked it. Um, first of all, the race in my campaign in of itself is historic. We are in the 100th year of the women's suffrage and the 55th year of the Civil Rights Movement um, Act that was passed in 1964. And um, I think really that um, I picked this race not only for its historical value, but because my life as an advocate says that this is what I need to do to accomplish what I'm trying to accomplish. And what I'm trying to accomplish is a world for my children to live um, as free as they want and live their best lives with the, the least amount of government interference upon the exercise of those rights. Mm -hmm. And um, I found that 
that voice wasn't in our Senate. That voice isn't in our um, it, it isn't in our state house. And I think that now is the time we have definitely um, seen what solutions are out there. We've identified the problems, and I believe that Iowa needs Toya, which is my slogan and an acronym for my platform, which is Tax Solutions Outreach youth initiatives, and advocacy and action. And I think that that clearly speaks to um, my goals um, and the things that I want to address uh, when elected senator. So how have you been received generally by the public so far? Well, it's actually really, um, I, and when we're talking identity politics, people that look like me, other black people, they're genuinely surprised, and also they're genuinely interested uh, in what I have to say. Many of us uh, have come up with a mindset, come up in a time where our parents were proponents for um, what happens in our home stays in our home, and mind your business. Don't go out here hurting people. And I think many of the policies that uh, the libertarian or core principles that the libertarian party actually um, espouses really speak to uh, a lot of uh, people of color, including myself. So here in Iowa, most people know that I am a libertarian, um, and I get a lot. I get a lot of outside um, help so to speak, from Democrats and Republicans. I chose this mm. race because it's going to be just me and him. Um, and uh, I think I'm a better candidate. I think I have better solutions. Yes, I'm actually involved I, in my community. I explain to the audience, when, when you say that, you're saying that you're, you're running against an incumbent Democrat in a two-way race where there's no Republican running yes. against you. And what are the yes. demographics of your district? How many constituents yes. and, you know, what's the general breakdown racially otherwise? This district, um, Senate District 16, generally has about 60,000 people included. So that's the total. For you all that live in Iowa and know of Des Moines, that's the east side of Des Moines and Pleasant Hill and little pockets in um Altoona, Ankeny, and, and uh, South Des Moines. Um, and so there's, it's highly Democratic, which is about 60%. It's also the, um, the largest diverse section in the city. So I have a high uh, minority population, such as blacks, Latinos, immigrant populations, and, um, and, I think that that is also helpful for me. In this race, um, I've been a uh, I've been a Democrat previously, probably until 2000, and uh, I want to say 12 when I encountered Gary Johnson. Um, however, in this district, um, people know me as a Libertarian. This is my third race. So the first race that I ran mm -hmm. was in 2018. Uh, in 2019, I ran again. And uh, the first race was for a House of Representatives. I made history that year uh, as being the first Libertarian to be on the ballot 
recognized as a libertarian for a general election. Uh, then the next race I ran was city council, and I was the first black woman with uh, in 25 years to run for a seat for the city council. Uh, and so this race was kind of a natural progression. My district, I believe, is ready. I knocked so many doors that said, as long as you're not a Democrat <laughs> or as long as you're not a Republican, I'll sign it. Yep. And so um, I knew that in my heart of hearts that the Libertarian Party was the party and the vehicle for me to accomplish my goals uh, and what I wanted to see. Um, yep. I also had a, a clear understanding that people were tired of the legacy parties. And so, um, and for me, uh, quite mm. frankly, people asked me to run Democrat and they asked me to run Republican. However, for me, I felt like I would be lying to the constituents that I wanted to represent if I ran by any of those parties. So for myself, and I'm going to continue in that vein. And what I hope to see in my community is people see me and are inspired to get involved in politics. I yes. think that with the Libertarian Party, I have been able to break uh, the molds and break the, the change that say I have to be a Democrat or that mm. I have to be independent, um, that we actually have tangible solutions, reasonable solutions, and that um, the Libertarian Party is a force to be reckoned with. In Iowa, we are the fastest-growing party in Iowa. Uh, yes. And here, as I understand it, in the nation, we're the fastest-growing third party in the nation. So um, right now is the time. Uh, for me, I think that this is absolutely a fitting time. Like I said, with the women's suffrage, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, we are at a precipice in the history of this nation and in Iowa that demand for us to be changed. And I think that my platform, my candidacy, uh, and subsequently my election, because I'm going to claim that, <laughs> subsequently my election will reflect that people are tired, that people want to hear something new, and that people are actually ready for solutions to be implemented. Yes, absolutely. Beautifully said. Now, let's get awkward. Let's talk about some racial issues here, what it's like running uh, as, as a black woman, as a libertarian. I mean, that is, you know, I... I Okay. Being half Jewish and half German, I wish I wish that being half Jewish kind of counted for more in the bullshit world of American identity politics. But just basically, I'm just a, a white dude with kind of a big nose, as far as people can see, <laughs> right? Uh, so it, does, it doesn't really count for much. And I can't say that I've had any kind of you know right. underprivileged minority disadvantage or experience at all in America. And you know, as as a libertarian. Uh, which has been a, a movement traditionally driven by white men. I'm not going to try to, you know, deny that demographic reality. You know, we see black people show up at our events and more and more minorities getting involved in the Libertarian Party. We're like, oh, oh, let's, let's put you in front. Let's run you for office. Let's, oh, let's, no, 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 look, there are minorities who are libertarians too. And so there's this, there's this like, we, we want to use uh, our minorities in the Libertarian Party to, to reach out and connect with more minority communities, and we want to support you. And, and especially, I think, nationally, there's there's a great drive uh, within the libertarian movement to support uh, candidates that are in unique identity politics 
situations, and especially like yours, where you are with with the parties, um, and that, that you're running in a two way race as a libertarian, that represents a huge opportunity. But I, I have a specific question to ask. But before I do, I want to ask a general question of you that I think uh, a lot of libertarians uh, do kind of try to answer, which is if black Americans have had such a, 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 I shouldn't say if, but since black Americans have had such a challenging experience as Americans uh, historically, and it's always been by the strong arm of government or with the consent of the existing power structure, why aren't more black Americans libertarian? I really think that it's an issue of introduction. Um, for me, I always was the kind of um, um, advocate kid. So I was I graduated when I was 16, uh, participated in different types of programming. Uh, and being black in Iowa, uh, from what I understand, is a totally different experience. So I had access to resources. I had access to one of the best educations in the world. And that also gave me the opportunity to make friends of all other types of um, backgrounds. However, for me, I am, if, if we're talking where a lot of black people lived on the west side of Des Moines, I um, lived in our public housing um, complexes. I participated in our black-owned businesses uh, and black-owned gyms and and those kind of things. Um, really here, uh, as far as people not knowing, I think it's because they hadn't been introduced. But for me, that Iowa is definitely leading the way in diversity and changing what the Libertarian Party and the perspective of what the Libertarian Party is. It really is no identity politics. Um, and and the deal with that is because the Libertarian Party is basically a solid core of the things that we actually believe. Many black people are socially um, liberal, but fiscally conservative. And then sometimes religiously conservative. So the Libertarian Party, once I explained it, uh, once I explained it, and then people know me, graphic, that I'm actually trying to reach. So I do make it approachable. I'm not intimidated by the fact that I have these unique qualities that I have the ability to exploit and capitalize on. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the reason why this race is so unique because I provide a a viable and valuable alternative to the Democratic uh, candidate that's there because there are many areas where we agree that changes need to be made or issues need to be addressed. It's just that we have a different manner uh, of addressing them. So I connect with a lot of people, uh, people of color, on those issues. And I get the opportunity to explain it to them, and they have it coming from someone that they've known that's in their community, that has fought beside them, that has abdicated for them. Um, And I get the opportunity to introduce us, uh, and people are receptive. And so I appreciate that. I think that it's time. 
so yeah, in a sense, it really might just be a matter of time of getting the message out there to all these demographics, reaching past all of us uh, white male autistic nerds who just go, oh my gosh, there's injustice, we got to figure this out, right? And I, I, I got to love the advantage. I think if, if I could, I would identify as a black woman to run again for, for offices. I, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be fun? I mean, as a parody campaign to see me running for office, like, U.S. Congress. We have a libertarian black woman running for Congress in Arizona. Now, he used to be a white Jewish dude, but now he identifies as a black woman. Now, obviously, we're not going to do that. But I, it, I, So here's my specific question, right. Toya. Um, and and I, I have uh-huh. to give one little caveat to this or sort of a disclaimer that uh, I think it's all bullshit. Uh, identity politics. Uh, relating to people differently based on uh, or, or making political decisions in any way as an individual or as a society right. based on, uh, you know, an, a, a candidate's race or gender is, is horribly dumb. But it's kind of an unavoidable element of how humans look at and judge each other and a reality of our current political system, right? And unfortunately, while we're still in this, the, uh, the upside is that a candidate like Toya can reach people that someone like me couldn't. And uh, given that, what would you say to fellow uh, fellow black Americans who are libertarian inclined or, or black women in particular to, uh, to tempt them to run as a libertarian? Now that you're in your third race and you're having so much fun with it, what, what would you say, look, hey, you want, you want to play the race card in a really unique way? Here's a fun way to do it where you get to, you get to, to challenge all of these ideas and social norms. So, Toya, I know that's a big question, but, like, real specifically, to, what would you say to, to other potential candidates who are in a position to run a unique race and, and similarly take advantage of minority status or gender status as political leverage? I would say that the Libertarian Party provides the perfect vehicle. Why? Because our core principle of believing how you see fit and living your life as you see fit peacefully um, resonates across skin tones, ethnicities, um, you know, sexual preferences, and all of those. So I want to encourage um, encourage black people, people of color. I want to encourage everyone to come through the Libertarian Party because the beauty of this party is you are free to believe as you see fit. And so that means, as Larry Sharp, I love love his quote, you can be as conservative or as someone else. Now, you can get with other people who agree with you and try to move forward. So if you have a um, have something that you are going after and want to make a movement, the Libertarian Party is a perfect party to do it in. If you are a person of color, come on by. Let's find out what your values are because I'm pretty sure we can find a group that you can link up with and promote what you're doing. Like I said, to me, the Libertarian Party is a lot of the principles that we grew up with. You help your neighbors. You work hard. And I think that, like I said, this race is getting a lot of attention I think that as a black woman, as a black person, that this is the, the best party to move political agendas. And um, 
you know, America is ripe for change. From what I understand, 60% of people are looking for a a valuable alternative. And I think that my campaign provides that. Absolutely. And provides um, provide some inspiration. Beautifully to uh, uh, accomplish that goal. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think I think you, you you skipped the second half of that Larry Sharp quote, and I know it because I love it too. It, you can be as conservative or as liberal as you want, as long as you don't force it on anybody else, and that's the libertarian sort of inclusiveness philosophy uh, and acceptance of, of communities forming their own systems. Now. Uh, you, I also noticed earlier you you called I, I, I when I when I'm trying to be nice I call them the old parties. You said you called them the legacy parties. I think that's being way it's like almost blowing smoke up their butts. Yeah, this the American legacy of the duopoly. Yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, but if that's how well, you want to be politically correct, <laughs> you know that's how I am politically correct because legacy can be positive or negative. And so, and so the legacy that that I believe that they have brought is destruction to a great republic um, and have damaged the democratic process to a point that we are in a hell on fire dumpster mess. And so, (laughs) so, So, yeah, that's the legacy that they leave. But for me, um, that's a nice way to say it because I still have to recognize that I'm going to deal with representatives from both of those parties. And I don't want to be extra nasty. I'm trying to run a clean campaign because I want people to understand why I feel like Iowa needs Toya, why I feel like that we're ready for changes and that I am open to collaboration and listening to every stakeholder's issue so that we can create the best legislation possible that has the most impact on the most people. Yeah, it, it's also like the, the use of the word legacy is is very evocative. It gets people thinking, you know, legacy as in what is it, it makes the people legacy. think what wait the legacy? Oh yeah, the, the, oh yeah, that's how we got here. Now, uh, Toya, we have a few comments from our producers club and questions here. The first one from Craig: Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Uh, but uh, Craig also asked. What is Toya's view on BLM? So if you want to answer that question as broadly, the movement, uh, as the movement of, of Black Lives Matter or the organization, whatever you would like. But Dr. Craig um, asks in our producers club, what are your views on BLM? I get this question a lot. Let me see if I can get my camera right. I get this question a lot, first and foremost. And here's what I say. I support the people in the movement, okay? When I, when when we speak on Black Lives Matter, we're talking from a personal standpoint, and that's what the movement in Iowa has looked like, that it is my black life matters too as well. Now, as far as the organization is concerned, um, there are plenty of their planks that I don't agree with. I agree with the essence of what was being said, but I don't necessarily 
agree with the politics being played through the organization. But everybody that I know in the movement personally and the the events that I have attended want people to understand that Black Lives Matter too as well and that Right now, this is a point that we need to be focusing on because when one of us is hurting, all of us are hurting. Uh, and and so, um, like I said, I agree with the movement. I agree with the essence and the spirit of it. I don't uh, necessarily support the things on the organization's platform. However, um, as a libertarian, they're free. In my mind, they're free to um, set their platform and, and whatever that uh, that they want to. And what I say is I take what's useful and keep it moving because I have my own agenda and mm-hmm. I have my own understanding of where um, and how I think that Black Lives Matter should be expressed and moved. Does that answer nice. your question? Right. Beautiful. So we got one more question from our producers club. Uh, CJ says, uh, our producer actually, I'd like to hear about her CPS plan, as is on her website. And uh, this is important to us because, you know, we talk a lot on Adam versus the Man uh, about victims of family law. Um, you know, I, we believe generally that this is a hugely underreported and underdiscussed issue because a lot of people are bullied into shame or silence uh, based on their own victimhood as someone going through a divorce or a child of divorce or dealing with government interfering in their parenting, taking their kids away or threatening to. And you have a pretty bold proposition, abolish CPS. Can you tell us about that and how that's being received right now? I do. I actually wrote that legislation um, myself and, and the help of other advocates as well, but most of the legislation I actually wrote last year. Uh, and it was actually um, brought to the legislative table uh, just due to corona, it did not get to complete itself through the legislative cycle. Uh, my work with Families United Action Network, and I've been their executive director for the past uh, f- five years, that is what we do. We are family law reform advocates. We believe that um, the Department of Human Services, Child Protection, and Adult uh, Dependent Adult Services is clearly outside of bounds. They're the only uh, agencies that are operating outside of the Constitution, and we believe that needs to be addressed. I think that the whole agency needs to be thrown away because, one, um, like I said, they're uh, operating outside of the Constitution. I believe that a improper delegation of power has occurred between the judicial and the executive branches, and that needs to be cleared up. I believe that parents, when you seek to remove their most precious asset or access to their most precious asset that uh, from them, asset from them, that you should be taking them through the criminal um, the process. Because as it stands right now, murderers have more rights to their children than people being accused of harming their children, mm-hmm. which makes absolutely no sense. Um, and I think that it's time for for this agency. It has outlived its purpose. It needs to be redirected, reformed, and thrown out and started all the way over. And I think that um, we've got a great following for it. I think people are ready. And more and more people are seeing the harmfulness of this agency. Not saying that this agency is not useful or agency of, of its kind is not useful, useful because I'm advocating for us to replace it with a standalone agency 
um, that's called the Family Stabilization and Preservation um, a department. And that solely brings it back into line with being a human services agency and not a quasi-judicial agency. And yeah. I think that a lot right. of people are understanding that. Yeah, so a lot of libertarians might 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 be triggered by, oh, create a new government agency. But I, I just want to point out that when you're fighting to make real change happen in your communities and you're making the case to abolish an agency of, 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 of the state government entirely to say, there's nothing to stop us from recreating it, but let's admit right now it's doing more harm than good, and especially for something that affects so many Americans who are afraid to talk about the issue, these issues with family law, I am just, I am so glad to hear that you have found a, a pragmatic angle that is going to allow you to change policy when elected, uh, possibly in a really huge, meaningful way. So Toya, uh, you got a great website. Our producer, CJ, got that up on screen. Toya, the number four, Iowa.org. Beautiful website, I must say, very well put together. Uh, we're you. coming into the home stretch. It's two weeks to go. Uh, so finally, what can people do aside from going to your website and signing up and donating? Uh, how can people contact you and, and, and hook up with you and help you out in, in the home stretch of your campaign right now? So first, what you can do is you can go to Toya for Iowa on Facebook. That's where um, I'm, I'm most active. Um, hit the like and share button. Secondly, if you live in my district, ask for a sign. I will even come and knock doors in your district with you so that you can meet your neighbors and introduce them to a great candidate that you're supporting. Thirdly, um, tell your friends, register to vote and go vote. Um, I really want to see people vote. I would prefer that you vote for me. Uh, however, that is not the case. When you get a hold to that ballot, if you've gotten an absentee ballot, research who's on that ballot because an educated voter casts an informed vote, period. The only votes that are wasted votes are those that are not cast and cast for people that you don't care for or don't like. So please give me the opportunity to earn your vote. Please know who's on your ballot because you have some dynamic libertarians on the ballot. And here's the real deal. I am a realist. I completely understand that um, I will expand, uh, espouse libertarian principles and work towards those goals. However, I also know and understand that I have at least two other ideologies that must be dealt with and they have more uh, people in play. So know this. I need your help. I need we the people to step up and say we've had enough. We want better. We want solutions. We want Toya. Iowa needs Toya. So thank you again for having me on your show. Awesome. By the way, I might have said .com. If I did, I apologize. It is Toya4Iowa.org, T-O-Y-A, the number four, Iowa.org. And, of course, as she said, you can find her on Facebook as well. And uh, I'm going to, I don't say this a lot, but I, I think you're, you know, I, I hate to use the, the political cliche of a you know, rising star within the Libertarian Party or something like that. But I trust that you're going to run again, uh, regardless of what I am. happens this cycle. Yeah. And I'm going to get on your email. I am. You know, I want, I want to Please be, uh, I, I want to be connected. I want to keep up with what you've got going on. So Toya, thank you for carrying the Libertarian banner in this race this year. It's, it's beautiful to see you in action. 
Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you. Uh, my phone is going to die. I got like four, four bottles left. It's done. Thank you for having me. Thank you for persisting through technical challenges. Very much appreciate it. All right. That was fun. I, I hope uh, – I, I mean, I'm – after hosting the uh, Black Community Outreach Panel at the 2018 Libertarian National Convention, uh, there there was one thing that that really stuck with me from that Maj Touré said, which was, "I have confidence in your intention. You know, uh, if, if you know, don't be afraid to to ask a question out of ignorance. You know, like that's how you connect with people. That's how you." You, you make progress and how you get these ideas in front of more people. But it, confidence in your intent. If, if, you're, if you're a libertarian uh, and, you know, just a white dude with a big nose like me, and, you know, you, you're afraid of, of talking to black people or other people of color or gender sexual minorities or anybody who's not your straight white male, whatever, uh, or, or straight white female, typical, easy to, to connect to for you, you know, just get over that because you have confidence in your intention. Your intention is to help people. Your intention is to spread love, to, to share a beautiful message that, that gets past race. And I think it's, it's kind of fun to be able to talk about that with someone and go, well, yeah, racial identity politics are bullshit, but as long as it's a thing, let's use it to our advantage. So let's check. We got, we got uh, just over 20 minutes left in the show. I got to, I got to say, we're going to skip, the censorship block and see to see how much of the grab bag we can get through the censorship block, by the way, keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's more stories coming out every day. But let's check in with uh, comment Jim Freedom and uh, see if we have any insightful comments for, from our audience. I know our producers club was, was, a, was pretty excited about that interview. What do we have in the comments, Jim? Uh, I loved it. I, that was a great interview. Her answer, uh, CJ was pointing out in the backstage chat that her answer on TPS was incredible. I agree. She is very, it's a very powerful subject, and she's taken a very bold stance on it. And I appreciate that. I love that. I love that she's not afraid to. She makes a, a well uh, thought out and articulated argument. Not just saying we need to abolish it because they're messed up. You know, she has logic and intelligence behind it, and that only helps her argument. So it was fantastic. I'm a statist uh, is uh, one that chimed in. He said it's very encouraging to see more brothers and sisters joining the Libertarian Party. It's encouraging to see anybody join the Libertarian Party. We need to grow as fast as possible. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I will point this out, though. It, it, it's Again, it's worth noting that we are a white male dominated political movement and that's okay. Like I'm not, I'm not wringing my hands over this or crying about it. Uh, that's kind of politics in general. There are a lot of things within American politics and libertarianism that, that would explain that. Uh, but it, it really is, you know, and, and Ron Paul, I will say Ron Paul got us uh, sort of a, a lot of the low hanging fruit politically, so to speak on the right by running as a Republican presidential primary candidate talking about libertarianism. And we have a lot more room to grow right now on the left. I think there are more people who I'd identify as, I mean, there's still, still the most is, you know, moderates, independents, unaffiliated, or centrists. But 
if you go left, right, I think we have more room to grow on the left. And a big part of that comes from America's black community. And I don't know if I made my question awkward enough, but it's it, this is the, a challenge, I think, for libertarians that's worth at least giving attention to and paying, you know, pondering is why have we as a movement failed to connect with the most victimized groups in America, uh, victimized by government, victimized by the current authority structure. And a, a major chunk of that is black Americans. A uh, major chunk of that is victims of family law. Um, you know, I, I could keep going playing these identity politics games, but black Americans, it's not, it's when, when we talk about being a black American, it's not just, it's not just an ethnicity. Like I can say for me, being half Jewish is just an ethnic thing or being half German is just an ethnic thing. As far as anybody else is concerned, in my general experience, I'm, I'm an average white dude, you know. Um, but when we talk about black Americans, it's not, it's not the same as talking about Asian Americans or, uh, you know, even Latino or Latinx Americans. Uh, or, you know, any other immigrant group that has a different experience, but black Americans have a particularly horrific story in America. And as long as there are relevant racial differences, you will have to evoke that every time you talk about race in America. And I think that, I mean, that's a good thing that you do, that you pay attention to that. And, and that's why as a libertarian, I'm, I'm sort of frustrated that we haven't reached enough, you know, black Americans. And as Toya said, you know, it's just a matter of getting the ideas in front of people. It's just a matter of time. And um, I wish I could predict a, a minority wave or shift into the Libertarian Party. Um, I, I will predict that it's a possibility that you might see over the next few years. Uh, it might just be sort of a catching up and evening out of the demographics as, as the Libertarian Party grows. But, uh, yeah, I think when, when black America, as Toya has, connects their history with the current political situation, they will inevitably be voting libertarian. I hope that's not presumptive of me to say, but that's, that's, that's what I see as my hope for, you know, black America and the libertarian party. Any other insightful comments? Uh, well, there's one here from Philip Anderson. Uh, it's a lengthy one, but let's get through it. The only way for anything to change in this country is for the military families to stand up, march to Washington, arrest and separate all of Congress from the rest of the world. The United States military will not fire on family. It's probably the cleanest way of cleaning it up. Hmm. Now, families of the soldiers, you can almost guarantee they're not going to be fired on. But, I mean... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, Mr. Anderson, yes, I love your point there. And I think that's, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant insight that if you wanted to protest military action, you put the families up front. And that's why when I was active with the Rock Veterans Against the War, you know, you put veterans up front. Are they going to shoot fellow veterans? Right? Are, 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 are you, and it, it's another one of those, ah, fuck, kind of moments that you you're you're thinking of creating that people will want to avoid you know if it and we never had the military 
called on us, like in Vietnam where the military was actually called on protesters, or like in Portland even more recently. Uh, but if you put veterans out front, even cops are less likely to, to pull the trigger or to, to act aggressively against veterans. Uh, but we also had MFSO, Military Families Speak Out. And that was uh, an important part of the anti-war movement to show that families don't back that. Now, Mr. Anderson, about about this particular su- suggestion that you make moving forward, it seems unlikely as long as the military is not being abused in the way that we were at the height of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars or occupations, rather, with stop loss and... Uh, you know, all the various, uh, you know, uh, PTSD, med out policies, things like that. And, you know, the military is still a very small part of the population. So the military families, you know, that might be part of it. Um, you know, I, I would I would love to see that. But my, my Mr. Anderson, my my skepticism about about this and the reason I wouldn't, you know, actively pursue it. But I would support it. Absolutely. 100 percent is that I don't think we have the current conditions, either for uh, military families to be particularly aggravated or for, uh, for for them to be, you know, organized, you know, in, in some kind of confrontation that would result in military families confronting the military and asking them to step down. That's a really cool fantasy. I, like, as a libertarian, just as, as, a, as, a, as an activist, I go, wow, that's, yeah. That's that's really fucking inspiring as an idea, uh, but I, I think unfortunately unlikely right now. Jim, any other comments before we get to the grab bag? Yeah, one more thing before we get to the grab bag. Uh, one of our faithfuls, I'm a statist. I, I hope he's serious when he says that. I'll just say that, and he's not just being a troll and being funny. He says, "Vote for me, Maricopa County Sheriff, 2024. The campaign has begun." Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I think, that would be yeah. awesome, I think. Yeah. Now, one of the things we didn't talk about when we went to the Jorgensen rally last week is that we started a little kind of underground effort within the Libertarian Party. Mr. Status was there. He's not a he only he's yeah, not the name he, is he's he's only a statist on the internet. In real life he's a libertarian, so don't worry about him. Yeah. Um once the first libertarian sheriff is elected, I would be surprised if the, if the changes in policing didn't bring more minorities into the party. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a very good point. You know, if, especially Maricopa, where it's, it's more Latino, uh, Latina uh, minorities that, it's, that law enforcement is, is sort of relevant for in terms of policy. But, yeah, you know, I'd love to see more libertarians running for sheriff. But Mr. Status was at that meeting that we had after the Dorgensen campaign. And what we started was kind of an unofficial, excuse me, Libertarian Party of Arizona candidate recruitment slash support committee where we want to uh, we want to fill our ticket from the top down and make sure that people get on the ballot as opposed to this year where we only have two libertarians. Uh, and hopefully we'll have them on the show here as guests soon running the whole state of Arizona because they're running in nonpartisan races where this, the, the signature requirement wasn't the same challenge. But the Republican Secretary of State got all the other Libertarian candidates kicked off the ballot this year. And uh, we, we kind of want to, we decided we really want to fill, the, the, the general strategy for the Libertarian Party should be to recruit candidates to fill a ballot from the top down. 
You know, if you have a governor's race, you make sure that you have a libertarian governor candidate or senator's race or, you know, your, you have your congressional seats or races with candidates filled before you have local candidates, um, unless you have a specific opportunity like Toya or like our friend Mr. Status might have in Maricopa. And among those local races, I think running for sheriff is, is one of the coolest opportunities that gives you a chance to connect with, with a lot of constituents on, you know, issues of law enforcement that are very broad and, and really connect with people with the libertarian message in a positive way. So I would be very excited to support Mr. Status for Maricopa County Sheriff, if we can't convince him to run for U.S. Congress. But I think in Maricopa, we might there, there are four or five congressional seats. We might have those covered. So very exciting um, stuff developing here for 20. We're thinking, ah, this is for 2022 for, for Arizona. And I, I say all this to this audience just to point out uh, that if, if you want to run as a libertarian, uh, it, even, even if you run a, a paper campaign, uh, or a minimalist campaign, then you still want to be thinking way out in advance, be thinking way ahead, looking at the race, the timing, the requirements for filing, for filing fees, for signatures, if you have to gather signatures to get on the ballot, all of those things. Uh, the time is now to be thinking ahead. The time to be working ahead is as soon as Election Day is over here. Until then, go support candidates like Toya. But, uh, and, and, you know, we gotta, you gotta be thinking very, uh, on a, on a pretty long timeline, even just to be an effective candidate like Toya in her third race. All right. So let's get into, uh, let's get into our grab bag. We'll check in with comments and good news in, in just about 10 minutes here. So, uh, CJ going from the back of the pile again. It's a big pile of news. Let's see how much of this we can steamroll through. From MyNorthwest.com rants, at least 118 Seattle police officers left apartment in mass exodus. Um, a lot of these are stories from the Producers Club. People wanted us to cover these. Uh, at least 118 Seattle police officers separated from the department. The Jason Rants show on KTTH is confirmed. In September alone, 39 officers left the force when the typical number for that month is between five and seven. Even new recruits are leaving there are now only about 1,200 officers in service for the entire city, the lowest it's been in two decades, and even this number is misleading. Many officers are using their recruit sick time. as They begin their escape to other agencies or wait for retirement. Good news. Very exciting that uh, it's getting harder and harder for them to recruit cops to be the enforcement arm of government. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, really, I don't know, there's a little collapsitarian in all of us, right? Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that, that that should happen, but there's a lot of good news. You know, that we just you know suddenly abolish all the police. Although it would still be better than keeping it going. Uh, this seeing this happen in Seattle just means that they are going to have to focus in order to maintain their credibility at all. They're going to have to focus on real crimes. No more. And, and in Seattle, it's already. You know, the drug war is pretty well winding down with fully, uh, you know, recreational, very easily accessible cannabis. But uh, we see this pressure in the rest of the country as a positive because it means that police departments are going to have to shift at least some focus from bullshit to actual law enforcement as a natural law enforcement and protecting individuals. CNN.com headline, Black Man Serving Life Sense for Sailing Hedge Clippers Granted Parole in Louisiana. Another beautiful, helpful story. Uh, Fair Wayne Bryant, 
63, was sentenced in 1997 to life in prison for stealing hedge clippers, convicted of one count of attempted simple burglary in August, five of the six state Supreme Court justices upheld his life sentence and denied his appeal. Yeah. Um, but the parole board is a long overdue victory, and I think just another positive note someone wanted to share, so we're going to have to cover that story. All right. Uh, gruesome story from the Telegraph. Social media bosses summoned by French government after terrorist beheads teacher. Yeah, you got to know this story because this is one that a lot of the fear mongers are going to be using, but it's also a reflection, yes, uh, and, and at risk of my own personal safety here, of uh, pointing out, yes, the, the irrationality of extremist uh, is uh, extreme fundamentalism of any religion, but Islam in particular right now. Samuel Patey had showed pupils cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad in a freedom of expression class before his murder on Friday. A terrorist is suspected, anyway, uh, just a crazy story. Uh, a terrorist is suspected of using social media to track down and behead a teacher outside his school in a Paris suburb after the married father used cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad in a class on freedom of expression. Yeah. From CNN.com, two main police officers who allegedly beat porcupines to, bed, to death while on duty have been fired. I don't think we're just seeing this because libertarians typically take the uh, porcupine as a mascot. You know, we're friendly and leave everyone alone until we uh, we get attacked. And then we're super sharp, but all, all in, in defense, right? Um, but apparently they were beating porcupines to death. Um, there was an internal investigation into Addison Cox, 27, Michael Rollerson, 30, fire, fired for allegedly beating porcupines to death with their batons while on duty, reported by another police officer. And um, again, a positive sign in development with the police state where uh, if you, the officer who, who reported these guys goes, I don't want sadistic motherfuckers carrying a gun next to me in a tense situation uh, and, and got these guys fired. A uh, third officer is on administrative leave for allegedly filming a video of Rollerson killing a porcupine. Yeah. Uh, and there was a criminal investigation, so who knows? There may be charges, but I doubt it. But at very least, again, you know, a, a positive sign of, of accountability for police. Now, how bad is taxation in America? Well, not only is taxation theft, it is so bad. We have this headline from the New York Post. Plane passenger caught smuggling gold nuggets in rectum to avoid taxes. Now, if you look at the picture from this story, you go, holy crap. Those are some painfully shaped pieces of gold. Indian airport authorities literally struck gold when they spotted a man walking oddly and discovered he had about two pounds in bullion shoved into his rectum, according to a report. Now, this is uh, from Dubai, so this isn't really an American tax story, excuse me. The Go Air passenger arrived from Dubai on Tuesday at Kerala's Kanur Airport, where he tried to avoid paying an 18% tax on his precious nuggets by smuggling them where the sun don't shine. Officials at the Air Intelligence Unit mined the stash 
Yeah, I'm using the voice intentionally there. Worth about $60,000 from the unidentified smugglers. But you think if you could, if you had $60,000 worth of, of gold, you could figure out another way to avoid taxes or at least not put stuff up your butt. Uh, although apparently another passenger on the same flight was caught with more than three pounds of gold. Uh, although officials did not disclose that that traveler had concealed it the same way. Yeah, so this is a thing now. This is how uh, now they're avoiding paying taxes on gold in some places in the world. All right. From CBS, another gruesome headline, federal government to execute first woman since 1953. The Department of Justice announced Friday that it has scheduled the execution of Lisa Montgomery for December 8, 2020. If you didn't think the year could get any crazier, this is one of the things it's going to end with. Montgomery will be the first female executed by the federal government in nearly seven decades. The last woman was Bonnie Brown Hetty, according to the Federal Bureau of Prisons, sentenced to death for high-profile kidnapping and murder, executed by gas chamber in Missouri. Um, Now, this one for Montgomery, she was given the death penalty in 2008 for killing mother-to-be Bobby Jo Stinnett, cutting the baby from her womb and then pretending it was her own. She became just the third woman on death row in the federal prison system. This isn't going to make things, things uh, any safer. This is uh, I don't trust the government with the death penalty, but in this case, it's just it's inhumane. It's not like this woman is some psycho genius who we can't contain. This is a crazy woman, obviously deranged, who uh, you know maybe in a security facility, a secured situation needs to be locked up, but she does not deserve to be executed so much as to be put in a mental institution. Uh, fun story from our producers club from USA Today. From lotto millions to a felony indictment, how reality TV could undo a Texas sheriff. Yes, yeah, since winning millions in 2001, Robert Chody built a reputation. That's a great last name, isn't it? Chody. Built a reputation as a cons- – I'm sure he has, he has people to pronounce it some other way. Built a reputation as a conservative lawman with a penchant for social media and a craving celebrity for celebrity. Um, so largest ever Texas lottery check in 2001, $51 million in change. Um, was then a rank-and-file Austin police officer, but stayed in uh, to, to fulfill his boyhood dreams of becoming a law enforcement hero. Uh, got a reality show, became a sheriff. And uh, let's see, what are his felony charges? Yeah, he's a tough on crime kind of uh, kind of lawman. Um, but let's see. Uh, but when a violent incident with his deputies turned deadly, taking the life of 40-year-old black father, Javier Ambler II, Jody Starr began to fade. The show that made him a celebrity was canceled after the Austin American Statesman revealed details of the 2019 death that was captured on live PD video. So grand jury has indicted Shodi on felony evidence tampering for his alleged role in destruction of the footage of the incident. So maybe we'll have an update on how that plays out. Um, Another story from the Producers Club. This is gruesome and kind of disturbing from New York Post. NYPD cuffed man to hospital bed after car wreck over unpaid tickets, colon, suit. So according to lawsuit, yeah, Bronx man is suing NYPD for $10 million, claiming New York's finest handcuffed him to a hospital bed for a week. 
over unpaid parking tickets. Yeah, uh, because he was in a car accident. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get justice in this case. Uh, but, you know, taxpayers, $10 million. There's there's just no good way uh, that this plays out. Now we have another story, and this is one we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna table and come back to. But PJMedia.com is Child Protective Services trafficking children. Yeah. Um, now we had we have a couple asteroid stories. Fox News: Asteroid could strike Earth prior to election. Astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson: Space rock the size of a refrigerator traveling at 25 kilometer or 25,000 miles per hour won't cause serious damage. Scientist says. But that doesn't prevent us from having this sensationalist headline that so many people are having fun with. CJ shared this in our producers' club chat. Be careful what, with, with, with his comment. Be careful what you wish for. Um, yeah, we've seen a lot of comedy memes, giant meteor 2020. But uh, there's another one here. This is from MIT Technology Review. This spacecraft is being ready for a one-way mission to deflect an asteroid. Can slamming a space rock at 15,000 miles per hour prevent it from hitting Earth? The DART mission aims to find out. So this is a, 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 a different asteroid. I believe it's not uh, a threat, but this, yeah, we're, it, it, it was about time, right? The technology caught up with uh, Hollywood fantasy. Wow, such a huge pile of news here. Um, next one, LA Times. We're just going to do do another couple minutes here. Spy plane was sent to monitor protests in a fluent suburb, home to head of California National Guard. Yeah, uh, another quirk of the surveillance state. Um, another Family United Action Network thing related to the CPS story. We're going to have to get back to fun political aside from the independent man climbs Trump Tower, Chicago, threatening to jump if he cannot speak to president. I was thinking, like, could, I was thinking, could this work? Could I, could I do this? I was like, well, if you don't follow through. <laughs> uh, authorities were trying to negotiate with the man and bring him down safely. This is from 12 hours ago. This might still be happening. I don't know if someone in the comments has an update on the story. CJ wanted to point out that there might be better Internet on the moon than in Gardenia with this next story from TechRadar.com, Nokia to build 4G network on the moon. Yeah, no, this is. NASA contract with Nokia for Lunar 4G. All right. Um, let's see. I don't think I don't think we have anything. There's, there's such a big pile of stuff here. Um, a lot of, I mean, just, just COVID updates. I mean, you know how COVID is in your community. I don't think I have to point out today that there's a Polish gym that de- designated itself a church to, to bypass the virus rules. There's a lot of stuff like that going on. We're just going to have to come back to it tomorrow. So, sorry, CJ, got that giant pile of links pulled up. I think we've had a lot of fun with today's show, despite only getting to about half the links. But, man, that grab bag is a lot of fun. There's still a lot of cool stuff going on in the world that we've got. We're going to cover tomorrow or Wednesday or whenever we get to it. we got some fun guests lined up for this week as well. Let's get Jim back up on stage here to wrap things up with our promos and comments. And, by the way, yes, he will be joining us hopefully again for Cigars and Sunsets with Peter this Friday. You can get yours at CigarFederation.com, promo code ADAM10, gets you 10% off. And for those of you who missed it at the beginning of the show, it is our Producers Club that you can join for $10 a month at Patreon.com slash man, Or you can just go to AdamVersusTheMan.com and find it there. Uh, they'll get you in on the, in on the club. 
And you get to talk to me during the show, send me links, help me prep for the show, be a part of the editorial team behind Adam versus the man. It's so much fun. Uh, we really have a good time in there. We also have a separate channel called Bullshitters Anonymous so people can talk about whatever they want just with other producers without distracting us during the show. Um, and uh, don't forget, makethemdebate.com. We have a debate manager now. We want to make some debates happen. Let's make it happen. Oh, and also, I forgot, as always, to mention, if you're at adamversustheman.com, you can support us by buying Freedom and Adam versus the Man merch. A lot of cool stuff up there. Thanks to CJ. All right, last part of the show before we get to the good news to wrap things up. Jim, what other wisdom do we have from our audience this morning? Uh, well, let's see. We got – let me pull this banner down. Uh, apparently, while we were building the Freedom Factory on Saturday, protests here in Phoenix were violently put down. Status watched on amazing Patriots live. Hmm. Police were way out of line with complying protests in the area. Hmm. Was that a BLM protest? Uh, I have no idea. I didn't, I, like I said, I was, you know, you know what I was. Was it we got a follow-up yeah, yeah. from Mr. Status? Any, any, anything else, Jim? Uh, no, no, it's getting pretty quiet. All right. Well, I hope everybody's enjoyed the show so far. Let's wrap it up with the good news. Goodnewsnetwork.org. Good news on this day in history, October 19th. It's funny, the, the first one here. 30 years ago today, Dances with Wolves, the epic Western film starring Kevin Costner premiered. It was Costner's directorial debut, too, and it won the Oscar for Best Picture. I'm not going to read all this stuff reminiscing about that movie, but I will say it was a significant part of my childhood. On this day in 1781 at Yorktown, Virginia, representatives of British commander Lord Cornwallis formally surrendered to General George Washington and the French commander Rochambeau, turning the tide towards independence for the American colony. Yeah, definitely good news. On this day in 1901, oh, by the way, historically worth pointing out, Declaration of Independence, 1776, July 4th, right? It wasn't until October 1781, excuse me, that we got this. Me, I say we, because, you know, I'm a nationalist. And as Doug Stanhope has pointed out, nationalism makes you take pride in stuff you had nothing to do with and hate people you've never met. Uh, so, yeah, I slipped in a little we there. But giving the uh, American experience, experiment uh, a, a great accomplishment there. On this day in 1901, Edward Elger's Pomp and Circumstance March premiered in Liverpool. On this day in 1966, uh John Favreau was born, the comedy actor-turned-director. So happy 54th to John. Uh, on this day in 2003, Mother Teresa became a saint uh, by the hand of Pope John Paul, or was beatified. I, I was trying to avoid using that word. Beatified as a saint by Pope John Paul II during a ceremony in St. Peter's Square. On this day in 2006, the Dow Jones and Dow, now this is this is not good news. This is where I, I love being able to sort of like see what, What's mainstream good news? Then being like, no, not really. Uh, the last one here on this day in 2006, the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed above 12,000 for the first time, finishing the day at 12,011. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, not good news. Just more economic manipulation. Little fun final aside, so we can end on an actual positive. On this day in 1952, French biologist and physician. Alan Bombard set sail in an inflatable boat just 15 feet long in order to prove that shipwrecked people could survive crossing an ocean. He took only a sextant 
in almost no provisions and survived by fishing and drinking a limited amount of seawater. He published a book about his trip entitled Naufrage Volontaire, as in wrecked volunteer in French, after completing his 2,730-mile voyage in nine weeks. Amazing. That is good news. That is, that is a beautiful historical note to celebrate. So on that note, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Mwah. Peace and love, y'all. Choose happiness and be excellent to each other. 